This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. And here we are with episode eight. It's the Ocho. Yay. Sorry, I've been so excited to say that. (laughs) With the Strength Anger (laughs) podcast. This is Eric Stone along with Robert Bain. I have my voice back. I'm so excited. Yeah, you did sound very scratchy. Dude, people gave me so much shit over that. Like, it wasn't even funny. I'm like, guys, it hurt. Jerks. I think it got better as the episode went on. It did. I drank some water and it helped a lot. But yeah, it, it sounded pretty pathetic at the start. So feedback from last week's WPO re- uh, recap, Bane. Uh, incredibly positive. Uh, a lot of people. One, a lot of people watched the broadcast and then watched the replays of it. So I got a lot of feedback from that, and and then people listen to the episode too. And so they they were able to put a lot of the stuff together. And so I don't think I heard anything negative about the episode, the broadcast, the production. It was all just awesome. What about you? Yeah, uh, the Dave Hoff. Along with his girlfriend, Kellen, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name. I might be mispronouncing her first name, but the two of them said they'd listen to the episode. Um, Dave Hoff wanted to know if the name of the podcast was a joke or ironic, (laughs) because he said I did not sound angry at all. And it is kind of ironic. It's a little bit. Uh, If you listen to the first episode, Hoff, you'll get the story of why it's the Strength Anger podcast, and it is sort of tongue-in-cheek ironic. Yeah, because I would say that while there's plenty of strength here, I would say Eric and I are probably the least angry people if you meet as a person. Right. I'm generally I, – I actually used to be much angrier, Bane. Oh, I think children have definitively calmed me down. Mm, interesting. I, I, when I had that fight with Jackie, I was definitively more angry. That's, that's very fair. Uh, I get it. Eminem was an angry guy. I've seen him on, uh, on his interviews, so. <laughs> and you said you heard about uh, – a little bit more about the WPO on the – Quote, Everything Sucks podcast, correct? Uh, Everybody Sucks, yeah. Everybody Sucks, okay. So I I went looking. This was just to fuel my own hate fire. I went looking for people talking bad about the WPO on social media. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, we shall. Uh, But then I I stumbled across this, and it was a uh, a podcast that was put out, I think it was Thursday. Um, Michael Fahey, the producer of West Side vs. the World, and uh, uh, Anthony Oliveira, uh, one of the competitors from the uh, the WPO, and then the two hosts who, whose names are escaping me right now, I apologize, they were reviewing the the meat and the production and kind of everything that went into it, and it was really interesting to hear uh, one a, one of the competitors' takes on just how, what the experience was like in the, in the warm-up room, just the whole lead-up to the meat, the meat itself, uh, you know, yeah, some nice uh, ego stroking. They, they said some very nice things about the spotters, loaders, and the rest of the crew. Everybody else that went into the production of the meet, it was very, very nice to hear some of those things. Uh, hashtag hype dude. Yeah, you were the hype dude, Bane. That's, that's, it was cool to hear. Uh, but then they also, uh, Fahey got into some of the, the stats, uh, some very high-level stats of the meet and the, uh, the engagement uh, on social media, and it was really, really cool. Uh, to kind of hear some of that and how how well it did uh, across platforms and across uh, you know different media, so that was really uh, it was fun to hear. And so I, I recommend 
take a listen to it uh, basically from about minute 25 to about minute 55. That 30 minutes right there is, is great, great content on uh, the production, everything that went into it, the, you know, kind of where Fahey's head was at, uh, Anthony's experience in it. Uh, and they, they give some great analogies about gear and, and versus other sports. It was really, really cool. And that, again, is the Everybody Sucks podcast? Everybody Sucks, Okay, yes. I thought it was the Everything Sucks, but it's Everybody Sucks. Yeah, Everybody okay. Sucks. All right. So other than that, Bane, what's been going on with you? Uh, you know what? It was a, a low-key weekend. Uh, my wife was actually in California doing a, a Tough Mudder. It's uh, kind of next thing. Uh, so I had the, uh, the small humans, and so we just kind of enjoyed uh, enjoy some time together and um, really starting to kind of ramp training up, get ready for uh, for 2020. And uh, all the fun things that we have uh, we have planned. Uh, you had a fun weekend, though. You can talk about that. Yeah, as if I hadn't had enough powerlifting the weekend before, I drove down to Cincinnati to help Laura Phelps with her APF North of the Border meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, my brother Ken, and my partner Howard Pendros all judged. I think, honestly, this might be like at least the fourth, if not the fifth or sixth time. Yeah, you've, been, you've been there a few times. Yeah, I've pretty much gone twice a year for the last you know, a couple of years. I can't remember the first time I started going down there, but mm-hmm. ever since Laura Phelps switched her meets over to APF, uh, almost all of her meets with the exception of one or two, um, I've been down there judging for her, you know, very good meet, about 60-ish lifters. I would say 40% geared. Ken and Howard and I discussed that afterward, which is definitely a change from at least what we've seen around here and probably what mm-hmm. has been seen in general. But Geared lifting is uh, is alive and well in Ohio, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I would say definitely there is a ton of interest going on right now, just after the WPO and uh, you know the the general buzz that has been coming around that. And a lot of the lifters, it was their first meet geared as well. Okay, and, and there was definitely some lifters looking to qualify for the WPO or nice. at least the WPO semifinals. Gotcha, gotcha. And that is going to be at the Arnold, right? Correct. So the Thursday and Friday of the Arnold will be the WPO men's and women's, or maybe women's and men's Mm -hmm. semifinals. 30 lifters Mm -hmm. each. Top 15 will qualify for the WPO finals at a date and location TBD. Gotcha. And the Arnold Classic XPC meet, which I think is being renamed to, like, instead of the Extreme Powerlifting Coalition, which was quasi kind of its own organization. Mm Mm-hmm. They're now sanctioning APF, and it's going to change, I think, to something like the Extreme Powerlifting Classic. Gotcha. You know, a meet that Danny Daig is going to run Mm -hmm. under the APF sanction alongside the WPO. Gotcha, gotcha. So more to come on that. That's uh, that's exciting stuff. I'm uh, I'm hoping to be back uh, on the platform for that because I think that would be very fun. yeah, gonna gonna be exciting to see what uh, what twenty twenty brings for the WPO and for uh, making equipped lifting great again. Exactly. So new segment. Per Bain's uh, recommendation, we're going to debut this week called "What Is Bullshit." <laughs> and actually, I think even Georgie uh, Georgie RV mm-hmm. said, "You know, that's going to be the new hashtag is bullshit." Hashtag yes. is bullshit. Yeah. And so we'll just make that a, a weekly segment where we go over things we think are bullshit. Yep. And and with this, I I'll yield to your creative juices. We can. We can say what we truly feel is bullshit. Like if we say, hey, something's bullshit, and then go into a whole explanation of why. Or we're going to say something's bullshit. Like my first one, Batman's bullshit. And that's it. I'm speechless. Yeah, Batman's bullshit. Batman's bullshit? Batman's bullshit. Man, I can't disagree more. I think he might be my favorite superhero. Batman is bullshit. What about Catwoman? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It depends on who's playing her. 
Okay. Okay. Well, mine is a little bit more uh, relevant to what we've been talking about. <laughs> but hey, that's... I will always take us off track if I, if I feel okay, like cool, it. Okay. So. Cool. Cool. So uh, my what is bullshit is Reddit. Reddit r sl- backslash powerlifting is bullshit. Um, Can you explain or are you going to leave it at yeah, that? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll explain. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, about, I don't know, six to nine months ago, I'd been on Reddit for a while. Let's back up. Uh, one of our members here, Mike Nelson, said that was kind of like, other than Instagram, at which he recommended we start for the gym and Instagram page, mm-hmm. and he was right, that's big in the lifting community. Other than Facebook, um, Reddit was had a, a growing powerlifting community. And kind of it probably replaced the old school message boards that I used to go on. I've always kind of liked to have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in powerlifting. Not that I need to know everything that's going on or I don't need to spend days looking into it, but I kind of like to see what people are talking about. Mm -hmm. So I joined Reddit and... It's mostly IPF boys with a Z mm. on there that think IPF. B-O-I-Z? Yes. Gotcha. Uh, mostly that thinks IPF, USAPL, or USPA are the greatest federations ever. And not that they're not good. We'll talk about that today. Yeah, we'll get there. But they recently changed the rule that said you can't even post unless you have flair with your name. Yes, you need flair. Like, Woo. not Ric Flair. And I guess kind of though, like the flair. If, if Ric Flair drip doesn't get me onto any message board, I don't want to fucking be there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, flair. You like you have to post your number. You have to send your numbers or something to the moderator, and then they'll what? put they'll put it in your like like it'll be like your name. I had a, I still I still have a Reddit account. It's two XL powerlifting. Yeah. But next to my name in the R powerlifting subreddit would be like you know my best numbers and my Wilks. Dumb. First of all, we don't use Wilkes, so I don't care. Yeah, dumb. And secondly, it was supposed to be a gym account. No, no Wilkes in the jungle. <laughs> it's supposed to be the gym account, not like my personal Reddit account. Right. Um, and I just flat out refused to figure out how to add flair. And so <laughs> that's the first thing that's bullshit, and I just oh stopped going God. to it because of that. I just I can't right now. <laughs> right. Continue, please. Right. So, yeah, it's just it, it, it reminds me of just like one of these little sub-communities or like it almost reminds me of like one of these like uh, homeowners associations that has like these you know like super restrictive rules that like you know these these Nazis on the HOA board. They're like, oh, no, man, this is like you're, the you're little pick- rascals, like the He Man Woman Haters Club. That's what that feels like. That's a pretty good analogy, actually. <laughs> and so most of the, most of the feedback on the WPO has been positive, but uh, one of our members, George RV frequents the reddit board once in a while i don't think he posts he might hashtag not on instagram yeah hashtag georgian on the gram or at georgian on the gram <laughs> uh he said there's definitely some hate going on in the wpo which didn't surprise me in the least <laughs> because again it's a it's an ipf raw boys slash uspa yeah. boys message board I, um, ipf ip freely yeah exactly here here's a Actually, post- that's, that's pretty accurate <laughs> yeah they do pee often there yeah. uh, early and often yes here here was a response just, just like voting here was one of the responses uh, and this is from Engineer Powerlifter, who has a very good uh, reply. And basically, this was one of the guys who actually frequents the, the subreddit mm-hmm. who lifted in the WPO. I can't think of his name. Oh, uh, it's uh, – I think I know. Is it – is it – it's uh, – oh, God, it's a young kid. He's, he, lifts in the, he lifts in the loading dock, AP loading dock. Yeah, he's about to graduate with, like, an engineering degree. He's a young uh, may, kid. He's like, maybe this is him. Yeah, this is, he's like 24. This is Engineer Powerlifter. Okay. And his comment after getting – the entire WPO ripped on, I think, his meat report was, quote, it's one thing to note high squats. 
It's a whole other thing to be a sanctimonious asshole and go on a long diatribe about how Multiply is cancer and Dave Hoff is an idiot and the WPO is the worst thing to happen to lifting since gravity and then go shit on people and their meat reports. The latter is what I've seen lately and it's very disappointing, unquote. Yeah. That pretty much wraps it up right there. So our powerlifting, you're bullshit. Not wrong. So let's let's get to the – before I get really angry about that. That's <laughs> – I, I may want to try to po- poke the bear a little bit on that one, though. Yeah. That's... Let, let's end it there because I don't need to go off any – they don't they don't deserve any more of our, our airtime. Yeah. Because uh, fuck them, that's why. Let's go on to the topic at hand today, which is the alphabet soup of powerlifting, which is not something I coined, but I've seen many times because in the U.S. there are – so many federations. 14,300. I mean, I went through the ones that I used to kind of keep track of slash the ones that have had somewhat of a presence in Chicago slash Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm by no means a historian, and I'm not going to be able to have exact dates, but I'll give you my perception of these organizations and give you kind of generalities of, you know, kind of when they started and more like the origins of where a lot of these organizations came from. Yeah, and I'm a student at your feet right now because this is, as I read through the notes that you put together for this one, I, I was very excited to hear some of the stories. I've heard bits and pieces of some of this. Uh, some of it you'll hear on uh, West Side vs. the World. Some of it I've read in different things, um, you know, in diff- just different books, stuff like that, as far as the history of, of the sport. This was very comprehensive from my perspective, uh, but I know it's not all-encompassing. And so no. I think this is pretty cool. Well, bear in mind, there's outside of the ones that I'm going to mention today, there's always going to be some small regional federations that, like there was one that I didn't mention today, and I'm not sure their origins. It was called 365 Raw. Yeah, yeah, and them. at one point they were, I was on their like email list, and they were constantly sending me marketing emails. And mm-hmm. at some point I think I emailed them back and said like, you know, I'm on the executive board of the APF. I don't know that you need to be advertising your quote nationals and quote worlds to me. You know, every other week. But we have 17 entrants for this meet. Right, exactly. From two countries, Canada and the United States. Yes. So it's not even Canada. It's Montana. He's just close to the border. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the statistic that like 80% of the people in Canada live within like 10 miles or 50 miles of the border or something like that? It's significant, yeah. Because uh, you, you get into, I mean, Howard may know more than we do. Uh, you get into the northern part of Canada and you just don't want to live there, man. It's cold. It is cold. No one wants to live there. Yeah, frick that. So powerlifting started with the AAU, um, Mm -hmm. and that's basically where all sports were. If you talk to some of the people that were kind of around back then, Mm -hmm. powerlifting was an offshoot of either Olympic lifting or bodybuilding, and it would kind of be like, okay, we have a bodybuilding show, and we're going to throw in a powerlifting meet as part of it. Well, because it was originally called the Odd Lifts, was it not? Correct, definitely. Uh, Because Olympic lifting, if you didn't know, was not just the clean and jerk and the snatch. It was the Mm -hmm. clean and jerk, the snatch, and the clean and strict press. And Mm. the strict press was eliminated somewhere in the 60s or 70s um, because it turned into like a standing bench press or standing leaning press because guys would lean back so much. When they eliminated the strict press from Olympic lifting, I stupid arches. <laughs> I think that's when really powerlifting took off because the the pure strength component of Olympic lifting mm-hmm. had been eliminated, and I say pure strength. So really, some would argue that Olympic lifting should be called powerlifting, and powerlifting should be called like strength lifting or something, hmm. because powerlifting is more powerful by its you know force equals mass times acceleration. Dude, but math. That's neither here nor there. I think yeah. that's actually physics. 
Just let me have my moment, Eric. Um, the amateur <laughs> sport. Yeah, we'll we'll continue. The Amateur Sports Act of 1978 is when basically, you know, Olympic sports were stripped from the AAU. The AAU, you know, still exists. In fact, at one point later, it reintroduced powerlifting. Obviously, it's big in you know youth sports. Mm-hmm. You know kind of like your non-school associated basketball leagues and volleyball. I don't yeah, even that, know if they're in volleyball. That, that, that's all I ever knew the AAU for was basketball. Yeah, they're big in basketball, but they do have other sports. Mm-hmm. I did actually the AAU Junior Olympics in 2003, mm-hmm. of which powerlifting was a sport. Nice. Um, and at that time, they had single ply. Uh, we talked about this in our, I think, either Raw or Equipped episode. That was the first time I had seen a meet with a, quote, unequipped division they called it it was called equipped and unequipped Hmm. and that was the first time i saw what we would call now a raw division didn't even know how to do a raw yeah exactly um when you know the aau was kind of stripped of all their sports almost kind of broken up like a monopoly Hmm. uh that led to the formation of the united states powerlifting federation or the uspf okay the uspf then you know powerlifting basically started in the united states i'm sure that they were doing something like that in other countries but the USPF. It all for strength for yeah, Mother right. Russia. Yeah. Mother Russia was big in Olympic lifting, I'm pretty sure. All the, all the sports, that's what they poured all their money into. The USPF led to the formation of the IPF, the International Powerlifting Federation. Mm. So at that time, um, or up through most of its existence, the USPF was a single-ply drug-tested organization okay. when there was single-ply. You know, yeah. I mean— and the Just seven before it was bullshit, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we talked in our equipped episode. You know, it's there's almost always been some kind of squat suits. Mm-hmm. Um, bench shirts obviously came later, but to the extent that there was equipment, the USPF was single ply, drug tested. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll we'll come back to the USPF. So uh, USPF, IPF are kind of the basically the only thing going in the seventies and early eighties. I'm not sure in the year. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't exactly find which year it was. The IPF slash USAPL website doesn't carry any results prior to 1982, ironically. Hmm. Uh, at least I couldn't find any. On it my... was a pretty great year. I can understand why. There's really no good history before then. <laughs> um, Ernie Franz, at one of those years, ran the IPF Masters Worlds. Okay. And at that time, he was the USPF Illinois State Chair. Okay. And he ran that Masters Worlds with five-year increments. Hmm. And at the time, the IPF was basically only recognizing 10-year increments. Now, this is coming from Ernie, so I'm, you know, some of the details are going to be a little bit fuzzy. But according to Ernie, that was the initial you know, kind of breaking point. And he got reprimanded by the IPF for breaking things in five-year increments as opposed to 10. What was his thought process on that? Did he ever say? Or? I think he just wanted to provide more opportunity for competitions for more lifters. Okay. Um, So he then, in 1982, formed the AMPF, which is the precursor to the now APF, the American Masters Powerlifting Federation. By the way, for all those listening, there will be a test on all these acronyms. Yeah, Jesus. That's why it's the alphabet soup of powerlifting. Yep. Um, In 1985, Ernie decided, with the urgings of many others, to then change it from the AMPF to the APF. Okay. At that point... Its main selling point was that there was going to be no drug testing in the APF. In Woo-hoo! fact, there was advertisements in Powerlifting USA. Uh, apparently, I've never seen them, but you talked to lifters back then. Um, the main selling point was that we will never have drug testing in the APF. Now, in context, let's go back to the 80s. Prior to 1993-ish, mm-hmm. steroids or anabolic steroids were not a Schedule Three drug. Mm-hmm. Now, I, it wasn't low. You could just go to the store and 
you know, pick up a bottle of test like you could pick up a bottle of aspirin now. Well, but, well you kind of can. It's just marketed as, you know, a test booster. Well, yeah, the real stuff, though. Sp- speaking of what's bullshit. Yeah. You know, but around that 80s to early 90s time frame, you know, you could basically, according to some lifters, you could go to your doctor and just say, hey, I want to get big. And they could just say, okay, I'll give you a prescription for anabolics. Or you could just pro- procure them and it wasn't such a stringent penalty as it might be now to, you know, possess or distribute a large amount of it. So now you just say, I feel tired and don't want to feel as old, and they just prescribe you anti-aging therapy. Right. It's the same. Same difference. Literally the same thing. Same difference. Um, But in context, you know, drug testing was kind of just in its infancy at that Mm -hmm. point. The IPF was just starting to do it, and the IPF has always had the at least stated goal that they wanted to be an Olympic sport. And so if they wanted to align themselves with the Olympics, clearly the IPF and USPF would have to be drug tested. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Ernie, and even back in the days when he was making gear and he was USPF, he had some of his gear turned down because he had the double-ply crotch um, because... You know, some of the suits were blowing in got, the crotch at that point. protect the boys. Yeah. It was more because the suits were blowing. No, yeah, that's, yeah. And so that's kind of where multi-ply gear started was literally just a double-ply crotch and the single-ply squat suit. Hmm. And then Ernie said, well, we could just make a double-ply All the way around. Everywhere. Um, so the APF was definitively the first multi-ply powerlifting federation. You know, later Ernie introduced canvas squat suits. I think even before that, denim bench shirts. Mm-hmm. Some denim squat suits. Denim wasn't as popular for squat suits. Um, you know, we talked about this in our, our history of equipped lifting. Mm-hmm. But the APF was definitely, you know, a definitive different type of lifting than was in the USPF at the time. Right. Now, there was no monolith back then. And, and actually, gosh, I, I don't need to include anything on that. But it was actually the later – well, I'll, I'll come back to monolith because yep. that's an interesting side note. Um, in the late 90s uh, – Ernie formed the AAPF and AWPC at at the urgings of a lot of the lifters that wanted, you know, they didn't have anything against the fact that Ernie didn't do drug testing, but they wanted, you know, kind of their own platform to lift APF style at that time with a monolift, with multiply gear, but drug tested, you know, to compete against others that, you know, maybe weren't taking banned substances and to compete with at that time, you know, the, the starting of, you know, many drug test organizations, um, which we'll go over soon. Mm-hmm. At some point, I think in the late 80s, Ernie formed the World Powerlifting Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, the first country to come on board was South Africa, which led to the eventual IPF lawsuit. Um, mm. Because Ernie decided to depoliticize. At that time, apartheid was a thing. and Yeah, that's, a, that's bad. That's a whole other issue, which we're not going to go into. But Ernie decided, hey, like the lifters aren't necessarily the people in charge of South Africa. Right. And so he, at that time, the IPF and many sports had banned South Africa from competing, including the IPF. Hmm. And so Ernie decided to invite South Africa to be a part of the APF and what would become the WPC. So the first world meet was around the mid-'80s. and it so, was basically- oh, Hold on. So the IPF sued him over this? No, the IPF didn't sue him. He sued the IPF. Okay. The IPF banned Maris Sternberg and Felicia, whose last name escapes me, who lifted in this South African APF meet. Got it. Won at the USPF Nationals in order to qualify from them for Worlds, but yep. did not get a spot on the IPF on the, on the US IPF team 
because they had competed at an APF meet with South Africans. That's bullshit. Okay. I mean, this is a whole other story we can this, go this into is, at some point. There's a lot of political stuff with that. I just... Not even just powerlifting politics, but... Yeah, you know, I, I know, like, legitimate pol- politics. Regular politics. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was South Africa first, and that was the World Powerlifting Congress, the WPC. Okay. And that's the world affiliate. And we're not even going to try to go through all the different international organizations. No, no, we're staying domestic on this We're one. staying domestic and ones that I kind of have some experience with in yep. the Chicago slash Illinois area. Okay. One of the fir- – and a lot of these organizations are going to be offshoots of USPF mm-hmm. and APF. Basically, every organization could trace its roots in some way, shape, or form in some way through either the USPF, IPF, or the APF. So the first offshoot of the APF was the IPA, or the International Powerlifting Association. Mm, IPA is yum. It sounds like a world organization, but it is really more of a northeastern regional organization. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. And this was started by Mark Chalet, who at, was an APF meet director, from what I understand. And that's going to be, you're going to hear this a lot. Yeah. He was with the APF because of, quote, judging standards. And Westside was involved with this, I believe, as well. I wasn't there. This well, it, was is, in, it is them versus the world. Yeah. This was in the 90s, so this is just, you know, rumor and innuendo and hearsay. But, you know, their claim was that uh, they weren't getting judged fairly. The Franz guys were getting away with high squats, and they were bombing out. Um, Fake Fra- news. Franz would, Ernie Franz would say that Mark Shelley left because he couldn't get a squat passed in an APF meet. <laughs> Ernie with the sick burn. <laughs> um, and actually, IPA was originally, when they first started, they were banned from the top 100 list in Powerlifting USA because they changed the rules, wording of squat depth. It was something like, you know, get the the hip joint below the knee joint. It was something like that. Interesting. And IPA, I don't know. I've never been to an IPA meet because they've never run meets with the exception of one meet that was uh, later dis, dis, disallowed. Um, here in Chicago, um, they've basically never run any meets here. Was that, but was that around 2015? Uh, I believe it was maybe 2016. Uh, okay. Uh, the IPA was always known as the high PA, <laughs> and they were known for high squats. Warranted or not, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's just what they were known for. But they were basically an APF clone. I mean, similar rule book with the exception of the squat depth. Originally, they eventually changed that to the same wording that most organizations have. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, they were basically all multiply. You know, eventually they added raw like every federation has. They had some kind of weird setup where they would have, like, amateur and pro, and amateur was drug tested. But then once you reached a certain total, whether you were drug-free or not, you could no longer lift amateur. So it's like you got to a certain total, and you then had to lift pro. And I think that's still their setup. It's It's very – if you look on their entry forms – you know, this is kind of an offshoot, but it really bothers me when powerlifting meet directors have entry forms that are like three, four pages long. Like, I always, Dude, it's not that hard. I always pride myself on trying to put all the information on page one yeah. and everything that you need to fill out on page two. Um, the IPA would have like a four-page entry form because they had so much explanation in there. Um, hmm. Interesting. So that was the first APF offshoot of many, many to come and okay. probably some I'm going to miss. Now, real quick, so when Ernie... You know, he started the APF, the APF and AWPC. You know, he he kind of, and you may have already had planned to look at this a little later. He kind of offered everything to everybody. So initially, he was probably 
pretty similar to the USPF with mm-hmm. the exception of no drug testing. Right. Um, eventually, it evolved to offering multiply. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of the time in the organization, it was only multiply. Mm-hmm. In the late 90s, I think 97, 98, he added the AAPF or drug tested. Right. But then also it was single ply, raw, classic that, raw. That was much later. We much talked, later. Okay. Yeah, we talked about that in the, I think in the equipped episode or maybe the raw episode. And then, fi- then fire and police. And then well, that's always been around. <laughs> I, and, Sorry, I, I always have fun with that because it's like, do we really need a separate division for that? Do we really need that? That could be a whole other episode. That might be about, it. I, talking I, about not police and fire, but talking about. Divisions and powerlifting. Yeah. That yeah. that might be under the, the banner of single plies bullshit episode. It might be. It might be. And again, not that cops and firefighters are bullshit, but that they have their own separate division. Might be. Right. Yeah. The single ply, the raw, the classic raw, that was all added later. Yeah. Um, in the, basically the mid to late 2000s. Okay. So most of the time that I was around, it was only like the, the big separating point between the APF and, say, the USAPL or the USPF was basically single-ply, multi-ply. And monolith squat bars, um, that kind of stuff as well. Superior equipment. So the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Association is probably a name that most people have not heard of. ADFPA. Yeah, that is now actually the USAPL. If you look at their (sighs) charter, USAPL is actually the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Association, DBA, the USAPL. This is a story I would love to get some inside knowledge from people who are here. But in 1997, some people would say through many, quote, political means, and uh, the people on the other side would say it was basically all because of drug testing, um, the ADFPA became the U.S. affiliate to the IPF. Mm -hmm. This was a fairly big deal because the USPF started the IPF, and they were kicked out of the same organization they started. I've I've read some stuff on that specifically and and yeah it was still pretty vague like the ins and outs and how it all happened it uh just me and my tinfoil hat seem pretty shady but that's just me the stated reason was that the uspf was not you know adhering to high enough drug testing standards to fit to fit what the ipf wanted and the adfpa was started Mm -hmm. i think in the early 90s as kind of the true drug-free alternative to the quote, drug-tested USPF. So no fun league, got it. And around this time, you know, drugs were kind of like raw equipment are now. I mean, I think it's still a thing so in powerlifting. Super cool and fun? Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking performance-enhancing drugs. Right. We're on a whole different tip. Yeah. Yeah, got it. It was really the divide, though. I mean, it, it was around the 90s when a lot of these organizations offshoot from the USPF, basically because of drug testing, because their contention was... The USPF was not a drug for organization, and it wasn't. No. And it, it isn't now. Hey, well, hey, to break it to everybody, the USAPL isn't either because well, guys keep getting popped. Drug-free is a misnomer. It's only drug-tested, and maybe it's yep. drug-tested really well, but there's no such thing as drug-free. So you, they cha- your, your word's not mine, sir. Yeah, they changed their name to the USAPL to kind of fit in line with the naming that all other Olympic sports use, like USA Weightlifting or USA okay. Track and Field okay. or... USA Soccer, USA Basketball. So that's why they changed their name. Trying to be something they're not. At the time, their niche in the sport was always, they were the single-ply organization. They were the drug-tested or, in their their terms, the drug-free organization. They later offered Raw. raw. Um, 
This is an interesting side note. There was a time in the 2000s when some organizations claimed they were disallowed from offering a raw division. You know, put on your tinfoil hat mm-hmm. if you'd like. I, I put it on often. So. And I'm not going to say which powerlifting gear company it might have been, but supposedly there was a powerlifting gear company that had sponsored many powerlifting federations slash organizations and had said, you will no longer get these sponsorship dollars if you offer a raw division. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of, and it, there was the undercurrent at the late 90s, early 2000s. We talked about that in our raw. It's like wearing a tinsel foil hat. Yes. And there was definitely an undercurrent of it was a very niche, small group of raw lifting, and they were really trying to push that away. And it, at, at a certain point, it just became it's too much, so overwhelming, they couldn't deny yeah. it as a thing. Um, and they had, to, they had to add a raw division, and I think they call it classic in IPF, mm-hmm. um, raw definitely in, in USAPL. Okay, so ADFPF. I'm only going to mention this real briefly because they they're, they have run some meets in, like, central southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. But the ADFPF, not the ADFPA, they were formed after the ADFPA became the IPF affiliate. Mm-hmm. Very, a, a very Midwest regional organization. On their website, it looks like they run about four or five meets a year. Um, they became the new U.S. affiliate to the WDFPF which originally the ADFPA was the U.S. affiliate. Are you I'm, getting confused yet on the... I, well, one, I'm, I'm not a very smart man, and so I look at all this and I'm like, what in the actual fuck? Yeah, if anybody's actually following this, maybe I'll, like, draw a chart or something on this, the, and I'll have, like, Venn diagrams I or just, something. I see that meme of, like, I don't know what show it is, but it, the dude is, like, he's got the psycho eyes, and he's got all this stuff behind him. And, right, and he's, <laughs> like, po- he's pointing it all. Right. Like, From the History seen? Channel, he's, like, pointing, and there's, like, arrows going right, everywhere. Right, right, or it's, like... The if you've ever seen uh, Twenty One Jump Street, it's T- Channing Tatum. Fuck you, science, and it's just nothing but like three hundred fours on the whiteboard behind him. It's kind of what this reminds me of. So let's go on to NASA. No, not the National Aeronautics <sighs> and Space Association. I'm but so excited. But the National, no, the Natural Athletes Strength Association. Fatty daddies. We've talked. We talked to them briefly in another episode. Um, Rich Peters is the owner and proprietor of NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, he originally was a USPF meet director, <laughs> and he left to form NASA in the 90s. I, same reason the ADFPA was formed. Um, he wanted a more, dr- quote, drug-free. He was one that supposedly might have done, like, some lie detector. And I think the ADFPA might have done these as well. What? There was a time when lie detectors were the accepted drug testing method that's such for powerlifting needs i swear to god oh my god um he offered only drug tested or nasa offers only drug tested um they've mostly offered single ply they later added raw i think for most of the time before they added just a true raw division they had what they called their power sports division which was they took away the squat and replaced it with a curl and it was curl bench deadlift raw and that was kind of any more bro. Um, definitely a. When I say regional, they have meets all over the place. They, I'll say what they did well was they would find like a small obscure town where no one else was running powerlifting meets. Like, at one point, I was going to do a meet in Alba, I think, yeah, not Albuquerque, uh, Lubbock, Texas, which was two hours, which was two hours from where my grandparents lived. And so I was going to do a meet down there. So oh, that fun my fact, uh, Kayla Willem is from there. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. It was either Lubbock or Amarillo, which are both two hours from yeah, where my grandparents yeah. lived in Clovis. And I was going to do a meet down there simply so my grandfather could come watch me lift once. Yeah. Um, never turned, never worked out, but NASA kind of for a while, I don't follow them much anymore, but at the time they kind of fit that niche of running meets where no one else ran meets. Yeah. The USPA has taken over that area for the most part. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back. To- <laughs> it's like, I got plans for these fuckers. <laughs> Let's go back to the USPF. Okay. So after they lost their IPF affiliation, they were, quote, the, drug... The fall from grace. They were, quote, drug tested, but uh, from what I understand, they weren't really drug tested at all. Um, hmm. For a while, they had what was called the Mountaineer Cup. Okay. It was a professional powerlifting meet. There were some cash prizes. Ooh. There was a guy, um, Nick Busick, who was a former pro wrestler, who was the promoter of it, mm-hmm. and... There was some gambling involvement with it. Um, this, if you've ever seen the clip of Ed Cohn, you know, busting up his knee, uh, where, yes. where his knee buckled, yes. and he blew out his patellar tendon, Yep, that was at the Mountaineer Cup. Ah, And for a number of years, it was a pretty big meet and attracted, you know, a lot of the, the big single-ply non-tested lifters. And that, for a while there, was the USPF's niche, was mm-hmm. single-ply drug uh, not tested. <laughs> single ply, not tested. Single ply drug users. I mean, uh, not tested. Right. Well, I mean, and, and really, the big three at that point were the APF, which was multiply, mostly non tested, but some tested. Mm-hmm. The USAPL, which was Bullshit. you know, I mean, um, single ply tested, and then there was the USPF and a couple others, you know, that fit along the same niche mm-hmm. of you know. The USPF was really, I think, the only single ply non tested. Again, there was a couple other drug tested ones. There was definitely a couple other APF offshoots, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Steve Dennison, who many of you probably know now as mm-hmm. the president slash CEO slash founder of the USPA. Mm-hmm. So he just changed USPF to USPA. He was running the biggest USPF meets in the country. He was basically 75% of the organization. Right. But the power base was still out of West Virginia. That's mm-hmm. where, like... The president and the board rod of and they basically had technical control of the organization, mm-hmm. but Steve Dennison was the big meet director. He was the face of it, basically. Right. He was the one running the biggest meets. Okay. And he had always run his meets under the USPF banner um, because he, you know, if you read his old postings, he appreciated the history of the organization. I think he actually said he was doing drug testing because he was required to. That's a whole other issue, but nonetheless... Um, probably about 10 or so years ago. So mm-hmm. we'll say late 2000s. It, it's not been around that long, maybe even no. less than that. I, I um, think it's less. A little yeah, bit. it might be less than that. We'll say maximally 10 years ago, Steve Dennison left the USPF and formed the USPA. Mm-hmm. So the USPA is, a, one, of all the ones we're going to talk about today, it is a big organization. Yeah. But it is, of the big organizations currently out there right now, it is definitively the newest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... I had to guess, man. I think their their come up started right when I got in because I had heard of a like one USPA meet, and then the next year, twenty sixteen, I just saw them blow up like just meets everywhere. Yeah, they started, you know, like the USPF single ply. Mm-hmm. When raw became a thing, they definitely started offering raw and yep. classic raw. Classic raws were that that seems to be their I, thing. And they're they're and one of the differences I haven't gone through yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to it, but yep. they the USPF. Um, USAPL, they were all walked out squats organizations. So mm-hmm. that's always been a big divide in powerlifting. Gotcha. Ernie Franz was the big adopter of the monolift, although not the first. We'll go back to that. 
Um, but USPA was definitely like that walked out mm-hmm. at the time, non-tested, yep. you know, raw single ply organization. And they've gotten very big. There was actually one point, if you look back, where they were offering a multiply division. They had a guy that was on the APF executive board, Ken Wheeler, mm-hmm. that was in charge of that. They had a, a multiply nationals. I don't think it ever took hold because that's not what they were. Mm. I, I think they were kind of trying to be all things to all people. Um, and they actually allowed monolift in the multiply division. Hmm. Uh, I, I've seen a couple USPF meets here and there with a multiply bench only division, but very, very rarely. Right. So let's go back to that monolift walked out issue. Mm-hmm. So one of the first adopters of the monolift was actually the ADFPA, formerly the USAPL. Um, NASA um, still allows monolift, and Rich Peters is one of the first adopters of the monolift. Now, Ernie Franz eventually held the patent for the monolift. He didn't invent it. Another guy, that's another story I'll go through. Mm-hmm. I have a, a really long internet post from his wife, Ray Madden, the guy who started the monolift mm-hmm. corporation. Um, but that has always been a big divide, is monolift, not monolift. APF and its offshoots definitely use the monolift. NASA would be the one exception that allows it that is, you know, maybe the USPF offshoot. But that is definitely a big divide between, you know, USAPL, USPA style lifting and APF style lifting, we'll call it. Right. Okay, let's go for a real offshoot here. Wabdol. The World Association of Wabdol. The World Association of Benchers and Deadlifters, started by Gus Rethwich. <laughs> Basically, we don't feel like squatting. Fuck it. That's what and, ex- and again, if you want to ask Ernie Franz why he started the organization, it's because Gus Rethwich could no longer get a squat passed. So he just <laughs> got rid of the squat. There was a time when I first started powerlifting that they were, it seemed like push pull meets were really big. Yeah. And Wobdell was really big. Um, Gus Rethwich used to run the Hawaii Record Breakers. Have you ever seen clips of that? Or yeah, Cone like and Ernie Franz. Legendary meet. Budweiser sponsorship in Hawaii, like cash prizes. Could there be anything better than beer sponsor in Hawaii? <laughs> right. Um, and he basically broke off from the APF, USPF, mm-hmm. and just started running bench deadlift meets. Okay. Um, he His thought process was kind of that, you know, easier to run, to run a bench deadlift meet. All he's got to do is throw a Forza bench, some kilo plates, and a couple bars in the back of his truck go to a gym that has at least adequate warm equipment, and he could run a meet. Yeah, that's fair. They yeah. still run meets. Their wobble worlds are still, at one point, they were, you know, seven, eight hundred, a thousand lifters. Um, they still look like they're fairly big. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think powerlifting, squat bench deadlift, has definitely taken off in the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. APA, American Powerlifting Association. Okay. Another former APF meet director, Scott Taylor. Who knew? Uh Use monoliths. They allow only double ply gear, you know, as opposed to multi ply. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know if I'd ever seen a gear check. He was one of those that specifically stated back in the day that he did not allow. He was not allowed to run a raw division. That APA meat directors could not have a raw division in their meats. Now they do, uh, but it was. I remember reading it in the rule book. I might even have an old rule book that says a raw division is not allowed in the APA. It's really interesting. Okay, so here's one that really. I had a lot of experience with. Okay. So one of my first two big meets was the 2002 AAPF Nationals run mm-hmm. by Les Kramer, okay. um, otherwise known as Les Scammer. Um, okay. he, here's a little aside story. He supposedly debuted, quote unquote, a new drug testing method at AAPF Nationals that was like a, uh, what's those sticks that you use to test like pH level? What are they called? Uh, pH sticks. Yeah. So he basically said that he was had a drug testing method where he'd just pee on a stick, and they could 
drug test you from that. Okay. That's what he said. The MPF office said he took all the money and... So that that is a thing. Yes. A, a quick stick for for drug tests, not for performance-enhancing drugs. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's for other drugs. <laughs> well, supposedly the, the story from the MPF office was he just took all the money and didn't do any drug tests. Huh. I then went to AWPC Worlds in Marietta, Georgia, run by L.B. Baker. Mm-hmm. Now, here is a guy who uh, he and I don't get along. Um, okay. And uh, it's interesting because he actually messaged 2XL Powerlifting on Facebook a couple months ago through I, one of his now many, many pages and organizations said, oh, we're looking for meat directors. And I said, yep, I think we're good. And if you knew who this was, you probably wouldn't even be asking me. <laughs> Can I ask why you guys you don't know, get along? Yeah. So after AWPC World, that was a setup. You were yeah, hoping I would. Yeah. After <laughs> AWPC Worlds in 2002, LB Baker, and he was like the golden child judge. Him and Jim Roush, who's a local guy, mm-hmm. um, Franz Lifter, they were like the golden child judges. They were they were judging at the Arnold Classic. They were judging at the national meets. I'm not really sure what happened, but LB Baker somehow claimed he then had control of the APF. Okay. He registered the website AmericanPowerliftingFederation.com, mm-hmm. and for a while in 2002, 2003, claimed he had control of the APF, even though he did not. And we had to put out notices, we, the APF, pronouns, pal, had to put out notices that the only true APF... Good, good use of we language. Yeah. The only true APF meet came out of the office in Aurora, Illinois. Um, this led to a lot of arguments online between myself and L.B. Baker, um, it led to the formation of the World Powerlifting Committee, WPC, not to be confused with the World Powerlifting Congress, WPC. Kieran Kidder, who at that time had bought the WPC, uh, had to take them to court. And they claim they, quote, changed the name on their own. But after they got taken to court, wrong, they changed their name to GPC, Global Powerlifting Committee. Mm-hmm. Somehow LB continued to upset people because he was then no longer with the GPC, he still has the APC. He, mm-hmm. he then formed the American Powerlifting Committee to be with the World Powerlifting Committee, a group locally offshoot from him, and now has WUAP USA, World United Amateur Powerlifter USA. LB Baker sounds like LB sounds for a little bitch. That's maybe not inaccurate. You know, it's the kind of guy that just seemed to just want to control all the power. Um, in the organization, hmm. he claimed it was all because he wanted a, quote, democratic process, but somehow that democratic process always revolved around him being in charge. What? All I'm going to say, again, I'll use my, my nerdism here, um, Emperor Palpatine also wanted a democratic process as he built the Galactic Empire. <laughs> um, this is how democracy dies. Basically, yeah. like thunderous applause. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on. Like, okay, great. So you're a fucking Sith Lord. Pound sand, L.B. Baker. I don't know you, but fuck off. Yeah, I don't like L.B. Baker. Okay. So you're not going to tell me to not tell him. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody probably in this area has even heard of APC. Like, it basically now just Georgia meets. He had a couple other meet directors, but he's pissed enough people off that none. Um, I'll be honest. I, when I was down in Georgia, and I, I actually talked with Steve Goggins for actually quite a while. Uh, the few times I was in his basement, never once did APC come up. He actually had some good meets. He had some good equipment. He was selling equipment for a while. Um, you know, he just didn't want – there was a big divide with the WPC internationally mm. 
when Karen Kidder bought the corporation of the WPC. This is a whole other story, which maybe maybe we'll do like an Ernie Franz APF WPC episode at some point, and we'll talk about this. But, you know, some of the countries were upset that Karen was taking over because they're like, how can he buy the WPC? You know, we're the member nations. Well, because when Ernie Franz started the WPC, he made it as a corporation. Yeah. Versus the APF is actually organized as a... Not as a charity, but as a nonprofit organization gotcha. controlled by a board of directors. Got it. So, UPA. Business, business, business. UPA is one that I have also a personal experience with. Um, yeah. I used to go out and help Bill Carpenter with when he started APF Meets in okay. Iowa. And uh, it was about, we'll say, 04, 05, maybe. Mm-hmm. Around 07, he and Kenny Patterson got upset with some of the stuff that went on with the WPO. I'm not really exactly sure totally what. Um, but UPA is basically another clone of the APF with no squat command and beanies allowed. Like the rule book is almost word for word the same. Yeah. Um, they offer, you know, basically classic raw and equipped. And they recently started a, something called like an elite raw division, which is like knee sleeves walked out. Um, I don't know. You know, a recurring theme here is one of the issues is that the barriers to entry to having a powerlifting, quote, federation, or even just running powerlifting meets is not very high. No. And as long as you have access to the equipment, you don't need to own the equipment, just access to the equipment. Sure. If you're, say, a Bill Carpenter or another, you know, a Rich Peters, a Scott Taylor, a Guth Reswich, a lot of these people are kind of, you know, almost one-man show organizations, you know, that don't have – they have other meet directors, but it's more – it kind of goes through them – if I could run powerlifting meets under my own banner and I could still collect membership dues, well, I not only get the money for my meets, I also get all the membership dues. That's like producing your own music. Like, that's exactly what they're essentially right. doing. And that's a lot of these offshoot organizations, especially from the APF, because, you know, it doesn't have the same, you know, strict barriers to entry like you would for a USPA or USAPL. Mm-hmm. And there's not as many stringent rules, which is why I like the APF. Yeah. But it, it's easy to just switch the letters to something else. Um, you know, so, it is so many letters, UPA, another kind of regional organization, you know, a lot here in the Midwest, Bill Carpenter runs meetings in Iowa's JJ Thomas in Detroit, mm-hmm. relentless Detroit is run UPA. Mm. There's a few other meet directors around the country. Um, you know, but if Bill Carpenter wanted to switch his meets to APF tomorrow, which I don't think he will, even though I would like it if he did, cause he's a good meet director. Yeah. I don't think he'd lose any of his lifters. You know, they have an, a lot of what you'll find in the U.S., especially if you're listening to this not from the U.S., and you're like, God, you guys have a lot of organizations. U.S. lifters tend, especially in the non-USAPL, non-USPI organizations, they tend to have more of an affiliation with meat directors than the organization. I, I would agree with that 100%. One, one I don't have on my notes, but I'll include as well. Um, an offshoot of the IPA is RPS which was yeah. started by Gene Rychek, who has since passed away recently. Green plates on green plates. He started it. He was the IPA vice president, had some kind of disagreement with Mark Chalet, president of the IPA. When he started, he said, no, this is actually not a powerlifting federation. And he didn't charge membership dues. It was, you know, it's, it's ironic that the RPS letters, it was Rychek Power Systems for his gym and his training system, but then it became revolution powerlifting syndicate for his meets yeah and he didn't charge membership dues but he increased the entry fee up to like 115 120 dollars per meet for a while though and, and since gene has passed I, i've talked to some meet directors they say that you know the future of the organization is 
fairly questionable if his mm-hmm. wife will continue or not because he was really the driving force. But he would have sold-out meets, double-session meets, you know, all especially around the Northeast. You know, he ran it elsewhere as well. Um, but, you know, a lot of these organizations are going to be, you know, very regionally based around where the president is, and maybe they'll get some other people to jump on board. Yep. But there's not as close of an affiliation as, you know, when you have to invest in well, – I guess you have to still invest in specialized equipment, but it's just – because there's not the same structure as, say, USAPL or USPA, mm-hmm. you know, you'll tend to have meat directors that will jump ship more likely, which is what happened a lot with yeah. the APF. Well, last one I'm going to go through, the WPO, which is kind of an offshoot of the APF WPC, started by Karen Ketter in the early 2000s. And it is, you know, a professional organization. That's mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, cash prizes. Think about it like, you know, the difference between... Um, you know, when bodybuilders get their pro card and go IFBB pro versus the amateur meets. That, in Karen's mind, when he started it, that was the difference between APF WPC and then moving into WPO. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like now, the recent WPO was very, even more exclusive than when Kieran ran it. Yeah. You know, very exclusive. Only 30 lifters make it to the more, finals. More exclusive than even the first iteration of the rebirth. I mean, there was, what, yep. 60 lifters? Yeah, last there were 60 lifters when. Wayne Pullum restarted the WPO last year, um, and it's only multiply, it's only open, and now it's only coefficient. So it's yeah. you know it's far different than how the APF WPC is run. Um, no, with the exception, no, no Wilkes or IPF points. How do you live? Yeah, that's Galosh Brenner. Oh God. Um, so <sighs> that's a lot of that's a big alphabet soup. Babe. That's a lot of history, man. Which, by the way, thank you for putting all that together because I think that's cool. It's important to to understand all that because when you think about it, like. Really, what all these people are doing is they're saying, "It's not that I'm better, and not that it's like I, I. What I feel like is, I don't agree with this, and so I want to continue to have the intimate experience for the lifter. That's what I want to believe. Everybody's thinking here, um, and and so doing that because I think you hit on the head where you have these regional affiliations that are closer to the the president or the or the meat director versus the organization, uh, but. I do feel that if if powerlifting truly is going to to take off right right and and get more mainstream, at some point consolidation has to happen. Yeah, well, that's that's one of my next points. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So I think really when you when you you take all the federations and you throw them into a bucket, there to me there's basically two camps. Okay. There's the APF camp, and there's all the offshoots of mm-hmm. the APF. You've got your IPA, UPA, RPS, and there's a, there's others that I'm probably not even naming, but a lot of those are these. Oh, SPF. I didn't even mention the SPF today. I don't know how the SPF started. Um, that's I don't the, know how they stick around, man. That's the Southern Powerlifting Federation started by Jesse Rogers. Mm-hmm. He's another former APF meet director. That, oh, look at that. That's, again, going to be another. There was a guy who ran meets at, like, state fairs named Daryl Latch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to even call it a powerlifting federation. It was more like you know, a gym meet. And that's not to say bad about a guy who's passed away. And it did introduce a lot of people to powerlifting. Mm-hmm. But Daryl Latch was another guy who was an APF meet director and then decided he's just going to do it on his own yeah. um, and ran sunlight power meets all around kind of these obscure little towns like the Illinois State Fair in Springfield. And he would run meets in, you know, Podunk, Missouri and Kentucky. SPF, I don't know how they started other than I'm fairly certain he was an APF meet director mm-hmm. and then at some point decided I'll just take all the membership money and run the meets myself. There you go. 
it's just the name. I, I guess he's posted online that they've talked about changing the name to make it more national. But mm-hmm. gosh, I, could you have a worse, more regional name than Southern Powerlifting Federation? Yeah, it's... I mean, down here in Tennessee, you know, we have that Southern Powerlifting Federation. Yeah, the squats are high and nothing really counts, but it's fun. We have a good time. Yeah, so that that's kind of in one camp, APF and offshoots. And the other camp is really USPF mm-hmm. and offshoots. And there probably is the, the practically now there's the big divide. USAPL is drug tested slash quote drug free unquote slash the USPA is non-tested. Although USPA is now starting to offer drug-tested meats. They are. And they are probably trying to cut into the USAPL's uh, marketplace. And gosh, I mean, the USAPL had 1,300 lifters at their Raw Nationals. Yeah, they did. We could complain a lot about them, but they're doing something right. They they are, in, in, in that people are willing to travel to their meat. I, I, I often wonder, too, if the location was the reason for such a large number of lifters. You know, it's... I mean, Raw Nationals has been trending up the last four or five years. It's been yeah. close to 1,000 lifters. Don't, no, don't get me wrong. Chicago's an excellent centrally located location. So, so I want to rewind that. that I, I was looking through the numbers, and, and I, I did not dive super deep and start, you know, slicing data and do, you know, like an analysis like I would do for work or something, but I'm like, they're... There appeared to me to be a big, big separation, not on the level of Hoff and the rest of the field of the WPO, but there's so many people that are just, and I don't have a better way to say it, but just we're, we're also Rans. And really that it's, they just want to be able to say, I was there. And I feel like that generally is the sentiment with the USAPL. It's, again, it's not bad. It's not, nothing wrong with want to be part of a, a big association. It's okay. But I just, I, I truly wonder if it's, if it's truly elite or if it's just, Social club, yeah. I mean, they definitely have very elite lifters because they, they do have so, yeah because of the I, because of the IPF affiliation, no doubt. Um, although I don't, I don't think they'd actually lose that much, even if they lost the IPF affiliation. Like if somehow the USPA snuck in there and stole, although the, the USPA couldn't, they'd have to form yeah, a new the, organization. I think they, the, the IPF loses more if they lose the USAPL versus. The I agree. Ground. I agree. Um, you know, and to me at this point now, I'm biased because we have always run APF was started in Aurora. Mm-hmm. I've always lifted in APF meets, and APF meets have been big around this area because Ernie Friends ran meets, and then I have started running meets. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the pure membership numbers. At one point, the APF was the second largest powerlifting organization in the U.S. behind the USAPL. Mm-hmm. At this point, they're definitely at least number three behind USAPL and USPA. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the number of meets. Um, and, and APF might be close with some other ones. Um, we had a downturn for a while, and we—if you go back and listen to our our raw episode, mm-hmm. you know—that kind of matched those late two thousands numbers, which started to to rebound in the two thousand tens. But you definitely have a, a difference in the marketplace of what is being offered. You know, you have definitely the walked out single ply and raw with sleeves only USAPL mm-hmm. slash non-tested USPA. And then you have, you know, what the APF offers. You know, if you think about it in political realm, the APF is almost like the libertarian organization. <laughs> a where, little bit. Where it's like, we don't care. If you want to take drugs, cool. We'll just, yeah. just lift an APF. Right. Or if you don't want to be submitted to drug testing. If you want to wear as much gear as you possibly can strap yourself into, mm-hmm. that's cool. But we'll offer raw. Um, I wish we had less, and that's we'll go over in our single plies bullshit episode. Yep. 
to be coming at some point. So let's take a step back. Why are there so many powerlifting organizations in the U.S.? Yeah. There's a number of reasons. Because this is America, and we do American things. That's why. Well, the number one is because there is no government regulation of sports in the U.S. I personally think that's a good thing. I would not want the government getting involved in, you know— Man, hell no. I don't want the government involved no, in this. No, I don't want the government involved in this. I mean, I, I usually tell people, think about it this way. You know, there are a lot of powerlifting organizations, but you're talking about fulfilling the needs of the average Joe, mm-hmm. who's a weekend warrior, as well as the top-level lifters. Like, what other sport organizations like the USAPL say that, you know, is kind of Olympic? I mean, they are in the World Games. Let's give them credit. Yeah. And think about Raw Nationals. What other type of sport organization has the top-level lifters also lifting in the same organization as what is essentially, you know, a dude almost lifting at a church or a dude, you know, in a church basketball league or a park district, you know, soccer, inter- league. Yeah, 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 soccer league, you know, it's almost the same because the yeah. dude that's just lifts in his basement and then goes to lift in the USAPL meet, he's lifting in the same organization that blames Sumner who's trying to qualify for the world games is in. Yeah, it's just true. If you think about it in that way, you could say like, well, there's tons of basketball quote organizations. Sure, the NBA and USA Basketball are the big ones, but mm-hmm. how many you know park district intramural church league basketball? You know, it's not quite billions the same. and billions and billions and billions. There's a lot. <laughs> um, the other organiz- the other reason is that there's just such a low barrier to entry to a running powerlifting meets yep. and b to just starting a business and having or even a nonprofit organization to run power meets. I mean, it's just not that hard to do. Like, what do you need? You basically need some equipment. You need to, if you want a nonprofit organization, or even if you just want to start an LLC, UPA is an LLC. If you just want to start an LLC, a couple hundred bucks, done it then. Buy some insurance, you're there. Um, We talked about this, but, you know, some meat directors say, you know, what's the reason I want to pay membership money to, uh, an office in Aurora, Illinois, that mm-hmm. aren't really fulfilling my needs. Like, what am I? What are my lifters getting by paying forty dollars for their membership? And what am I getting by, you know, labeling my meat under the banner of APF or USAPL or USPA? Mm-hmm. And they might say, "Eh, I'll just do my own thing, and I'll keep all the, all the membership money. Yeah, and I'll have my own records and send up my own record certificates." Right. You did talk about this, Bane. I think one of the big things is that you've got that hashtag American mm. independent spirit where, you know, we are an independent people. That's why we, you know, climbed on some boats and traveled here from Europe to the United States and separated ourselves from Britain. Yeah. I think that's part of the American entrepreneurial. Yeah, because indi- taxes are bullshit. What's, what's bullshit? Taxes are bullshit. Taxes are bullshit. Right. Even though we pay a lot of fucking taxes. Yeah, we, oh, God. So I think that's why there are so many organizations. Um, the next question is, and you talked about this, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that there's so many powerlifting organizations? I'll let you answer first as the maybe, you know, newer lifter. Sure. In in my opinion, it is it is neutral. It it for the lifter. For the lifter, it doesn't matter. If you have a way that you can go and compete and be judged and found worthy, that to me is a good thing and and it then gives you a barometer especially that first meet it gives you a barometer to then go go off of and to start hopefully progressing uh your lifting and your fitness and your health um in some way shape or form growing your knowledge base when it comes to strength where it is complicated where it's challenging is for the non-lifter 
I, I, I'm sure you've had this conversation too. I've had it ad nauseum. Why are there so many divisions? Why are there so many uh, organizations? What's the best one? What's the worst one? Why would you want to do this? Why would you want to wear gear? Why wouldn't you want to wear it? Like all these different things. And, and it's, so for the non-lifter, it's a challenge. It's just, there's just a lack of understanding right now. And so that, again, then you start throwing in there, well, the USAPL is X and the USPA is Y and the APF is a whole different animal. Then you have the SPF and then you've got, and then you have these other different organizations that maybe don't have as much notoriety as these, as the ones I just mentioned. And so then you got to explain why would someone want to go to a regional organization? Well, it's because they, they like the guys that put it on. So it, it it's, it's trying to, which I'm not saying you have to, but you know, in trying to explain why we do the things we do, because generally speaking, po- people don't want to get under bone crushing weights and hope you stand back up with them. And so I, I think it, that for the non lifter, it's a bad thing, but for the lifter themselves, it's neutral at, at worst. Otherwise, that is a good thing because being able to, Find a place where you can go and then decide, like, hey, do I want to go and test my metal against the colors, the the biggest raw group in the in the world, in the, in the USAPL and the IPF? Do I want it? This whole WPO thing was crazy. Do I want to throw gear on and see what happens? It, it, that variety, I think, is positive for the lifter. I think it's good to have competition. That That's first and foremost. But mm-hmm. when you think about why are there so many organizations and is it a good or a bad thing, well... I would never advocate for, because people say, like, you know, we need to, you know, combine some organizations. We're like, who is we? Like, do you want the government to do it? I mean, ultimately, meets are market-driven, if you think about it from a capitalist standpoint. Like, the Illuminati needs to do it. If nobody went to SPF meets, if nobody went to UPA meets, if nobody went to APF meets, they would, they would cease as an organization. Like, if everyone just said, hey, I'm only going to go to USPA and USPF or USAPL meets mm-hmm. – Eventually, the market would dictate that, and they they would just dry up. Sure, you know, and, and I, we talked about government regulation. Like there are some countries where the IPF is the only organization that is allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. And in, in South Africa, we had the WPC Worlds in two thousand three. Mm-hmm. The government officials came in to start drug testing everybody. Remember, in worldwide, <laughs> the, worldwide, the WPC is like the non tested organization yeah. alternative to right. IPF. And so lifters are, like, running out the back door, U.S. lifters included. After that, South Africa banned the WPC from even existing. In South Africa. In South Africa, right. And they just came back within the last couple years. Right. I mean, there are Asian countries where you're only allowed to have IPF. Right. Um, In France, uh, they came in and were going to shut down the WPC affiliate in France. Yeah. uh, Because they were holding an international meeting. They weren't some kind of government regulation or government sports, you know, mm-hmm. oversight. Right. So yeah. I don't want that. And when people say, hey, shouldn't we combine these organizations? Well, the best way you could do that as a lifter or as a person is by supporting the organization whose mission you think is the best. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately market-driven. Like, again, if nobody went to XYZ Federation meets, they would no longer exist. What federation is that? Where, where are they based at? <laughs> I'm just saying, it's probably it's, it's probably out there somewhere. Yeah. So I don't. When people ask, like, you know, can anything be done or should anything be done? Well, as a person who's been in powerlifting a long time, I would say no. Okay. 
And I would say, is it a good thing there are so many organizations? Well, I think it's probably better if there was a few less. Like if maybe if we could condense. Let's get rid of the USAPL. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, even think, <laughs> I don't even think that. I'm just, I'm really just talking shit. I, I do respect the numbers and, and there are a lot of great USAPL lifters I have. There's something to be said for the fact that they have carved out what their niche is. It's drug tested, single ply and raw. Yeah. And they said, that's what we do. We are not going to offer, you know, they can't as an IPF affiliate offer non-tested. Yeah. They said, we're not going to do anything else other than this is what we are. This is what we offer. Yep. Yeah. And there's parts of that. I like, I like the fact that there's flexibility with the IPF. I wish we could condense things down a little bit on mm-hmm. some of the divisions and on some of the equipment stuff. Um, but when you ask why there's so many divisions, why there's so much equipment, again, that's all market-driven. Yeah. Lifters are asking for it. Now, I, as a business person, you know, there often is the old cliche saying, the customer's always right, or you ask the customers what they want. As someone who's been around you know, clients and lifters for a long time, sometimes people don't know what they want until you offer it to them. That is very fair. You know, it's like... They may say this is what they want, but they may not even know what they want until it's right in front of them. And that's part of the challenge is that you want to be responsive to what lifters lifters are asking for while at the same time thinking, well, what is the best for everyone as a whole? Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that's kind of my thought on, you know, why there's so many organizations and should there be anything done i would say probably not but i think if there's going to be any quote condensing of powerlifting organizations it would be market driven it would be because people tend to gravitate towards the organizations that have the meets that are the best run and the meets that have you know the quote next levels of what they want mm-hmm. you know they're going to continue to go to usapl because there's their big meets at the Arnold and the IPF Worlds and their big national meets. Yep. They're going to continue to lift in USPA because they've got some of their big meets at some of the big fitness expos. Mm. And I guess they don't have the US Open anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, and they're going to eventually, I think, the APF as a niche say, hey, I'm going to continue to lift APF because they offer you know, lifter-friendly meets with lifter-friendly items, but also have got the goal of competing at the WPO or competing WPO style. Mm -hmm. So let's back up a little bit, Bain. Have you ever lifted any other organization other than APF? I actually have not. Okay, so maybe go through the thought process of why you've lifted APF, AAPF. Sure. Uh, I I will. I do want to get to, because I did ask a question on the Instas, and I do want to get to those answers. Uh, so I, I, I signed up for an APF meet simply because I didn't know any better, the first one. Uh, I was call it what it is. I was told this is the meet you want to do. It's the Illinois State meet. It's in Sycamore. And this was from Lifters at Monster Garage at this point or no? No, this is from Creepy Russian. Oh, okay. Yep. So thanks, Greg. Hashtag deadlift economy. Yes, yes. Uh, Greg's a great guy. I love Greg. He's just a, a wonderful person, uh, though he did spawn a, uh, a verb in my household called getting Greg'd. Uh, that's why we don't. I don't go train the let off Y anymore because I would go there on a Monday night and I would have a conversation almost as long as one of these podcasts with Greg and we get no training done. So <laughs> I love Greg. It was just very challenging to train around him uh, once we kind of got going with everything. So um, so I, I didn't really know any better. And then I decided to do my second meet and talking with uh, some of my friends that were coming out to do it, they were telling me about all these different federations. They talked about the UPA and 
And which is big in Iowa, and you were probably talking he, to some of your Iowa, fr- yes, Iowa friends. Yes, yeah, so I was talking to Jake Stratton, and and I want to preface this: this is not a knock on Bill, it's not a knock on any individual, but I watched the video of Jake snapping his radius on a bench press. He had a single ply bench, and he had like six hundred pounds in his hands, and snapped the radial on his. Oh yeah, it was bad. It was nasty. And w- then watched the bar fall out of his hands, hit his chest, and the spotter catch it on the bounce. And I'm like. I don't like that. That that freaks me out that the spotters didn't know. And and that started my journey, too, of understanding how to spot well uh, and what that means for a meet. And so I, I, every, you know, every experience I had with spotters, save one, was really, really good. And so I, I just I kind of kept with the meets. And then in 2016, when I got pretty serious about the meets, I said, hey, you know, I, I at the same time, I also caught a travel bug. And so I, I want to go travel. I wanted to go places. And 2016, uh, AAPF Nationals, so I want to say drug tested, uh, was in Idaho Falls. I had always wanted to go to the Pac Northwest. I'm like, I now have an excuse through this crazy sport that I do to go to Idaho Falls. Why not? So I did. Uh, it was fun. It was great. And and I've just stuck with the AAPF since then. Uh, I Every experience I've had, especially locally here in Chicago, uh, has been a very well-run meet, you know, efficient, and uh, I feel very organized coming in. Uh, the team here at 2XL and Eric, you guys do a great job in, in getting that set up. So I've always just felt very comfortable competing in the AAPF uh, and APF meets. Not to say that I wouldn't be up for any other federation, though I will say I like the safety of a monolift. I do not like the ERX. Uh, I, I don't feel like I can get tight in them. I don't feel like I can really get myself set up in them. So I just, I just don't care to to compete in the federation that uses them. That could be another podcast episode to talk about the history of the monolift and the uh, is walkout part of the squat. I, I think that would be a, a good one. I I would argue that it's optional. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but it, like it lifters' discretion, dealer's choice, right. So, so that's why I've just I've kind of stuck with the APF. APF. I just I enjoy the people. I enjoy my experience with them. I've heard other people say that they're it's the worst meet they've ever done. Okay, like, hey, cool. I, I just don't think you did a Eric Stone run meet, but that's just me. <laughs> um, so flip the script, Eric. Uh, why have you chosen to associate yourself with the APF? APF. Yeah, there's there's a number of reasons. Um, like you, I started out in the APF and had positive experiences. And the you know, copious amounts of money one makes to meet director, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, that's we're even talking before then when I was yeah. just a just a kid, yeah. traveling around to Pensacola, Florida, and Marietta, Georgia, to meets. Yeah. To me, it became like a family because I was friends with Ernie Franz. I trained eventually at his team. I was friends with Maris Sternberg. Mm-hmm. I was friends with Amy Jackson, and so it became you know kind of my second family. Um, and I think that's probably a similar that you and even people that lift in some of these small regional organizations. One thing I'll say about NASA, they have a cult-like following. Like people that do NASA meets freaking love NASA meets, and that's and they do. They almost talk about it being like their family. And and I would I would be inclined to agree. Like I I think of my gym families because I obviously train here and train at the Monster Garage. I do. I I equate this group at like a second family. And you start to see the same people at some of the bigger meets from different states, yep. and you, you yep. hang out and you drink with them, and you go out to eat, yep. and it's fun to, you know, even people from other countries we start to see at multiple meets. Yep. And and then you have, you, you couple that with social media, and you can still stay in touch with people. I mean, 
uh, I mean, it, it was great that, you know, Julian uh, McCarrow from, from the UK, you know, I met him at 2017 AWPC Worlds here. Uh, we continued that friendship, uh, you know, through social media. 2018, we were in England last year, and then uh, this year we're down in Florida. And, you know, we just, we, we, we basically, we see each other at Worlds. That's it. Right. And, and then we send each other food and energy drinks. <laughs> so that's why I lifted, and I've lifted a couple other organizations. I've lifted AAU. I lifted APA. Um, I lifted NASA. That was the last, only first and last, Jackie told me. <laughs> Didn't no, drink the Kool-Aid there. No longer with, uh, it, it was cultish, I'll say that. No longer did Jackie want me doing a meet with a curl as the first lift. Um, and when I started running meets, I certainly got more involved. And, you know, there's been some times when I've had some issues with the APF. And what I think has happened a lot is that meet directors have had issues or mm-hmm. complaints, you know, with the organization. And instead of just trying to work within the system mm-hmm. and say, hey, I disagree with this. Could we change it? And there's things with the APF, how it's run, that I disagree with. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I find it better to work within the confines of the system rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to go off and... I, and this is not me pumping up my ego and saying I'm some kind of great meat promoter. But I can tell you if I sent out an email to some of the organizations, with the exception, we'll not say USAPL or USPA, although I, I think I could have a conversation there. But if I yeah. sent an email to some of the other organizations we've mentioned today mm-hmm. and asked to become a state chair or asked to start running meats under their banner, I can almost guarantee that I would have a positive response within 24 hours. I, yeah, I, I would say that's probably accurate. And I probably could start to have a conversation with some of the other organizations if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's not me, you know, pumping my ego up and having a big head. That's just... Make the real SPF Stone Powerlifting Federation. That is freaking hilarious. I, <laughs> love, I love that. <laughs> Funny story. Let's let's take a little aside. There was oh, a, boy. There was at one point when Ernie Franz was pissed off with Karen Kidder and was going to go mm-hmm. form his own organization. Again. He had his own hall thing written out on, like you know, like yellow legal pad, and it was going to be the EPF. What? Eric's Powerlifting Federation. Oh, my God. <laughs> easily easily changed to Ernie's Powerlifting Federation. Uh, yeah, so okay, you ever made him mad then? <laughs> he, for a short time, did run meets under the American Franz Powerlifting Federation banner for a couple of years. That is when I first became the state chairman. Uh-huh. So... The reason I continue to run meets and be associated with the APF, first of all, there's a history of the organization. You know, Mm -hmm. there's some records that actually have some, you know, there's actual records to them. It's not been, they've not been like, you know, banished because we changed weight classes. You know, there's state records in Illinois that go back to the early 80s that are still on the books. There are. I have seen them. I look for for these actually because I find those fascinating. I like the fact that there is a structure and a process and a rulebook to the APF, but there is enough flexibility that it's not so rigid mm. that, you know, we're going to throw out the meat results of a meat just because, you know, a, an I wasn't dotted or a, a T wasn't crossed, which has been the case in some other organizations in the past. But if the check wasn't signed, they will throw it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whole different thing there. Right. Um but it does provide a stamp. This is an APF meet. There's a standard set of rules. Mm-hmm. There's a standard set of records. Um, at the end of the day, you know, 2XL Powerlifting, Eric Stone is a business promoting events. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, we sanction our meets APF, but at the end of the day, they're 2XL Powerlifting promoted events. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the niche that the APF provides. I like multiple. I mean, I like the WPO. I love the WPO. That's my style of Same lifting. Z's. 
you know, I like the freak show. We talked about that last week with our recap. Yeah. Like, I like the fact that in the WPO and APF multiply lifting, you know, it is kind of the extreme version of the sport. And I don't dislike raw lifting. No. I like raw lifting. I like raw lifters. I think it's a great place for oh, lifters. Thank you. I think it's a great place, certainly for lifters to start. There's no reason to start off and, you know, gangstered out canvas squat suits and super duper feet on bench shirts. Right. Um, but I do like the, you know, strap yourself in something crazy and put a bunch of weight on your bat and try to squat or bench or deadlift, you know, once in a while. Yeah. Crazy amounts of weight. I um, concur with that. And it's funny because there's been times when the APF has been kind of touch and go and not doing well when the WPO left and we lost some meat directors. Mm -hmm. And Jack and I talked about, well, what do we do if we want to continue running meats? You know, do we go to the, the UPA, which, you know, offered me when they started a state chairmanship and running a couple meets a year, and I could even stay APF, which didn't make sense. Right. Yeah, um, it seems a little weird. Right. But they offered me to be the state chairman for the UPA. Um, do I go to one of these other organizations? At the end of the day, you know, none of them other than the APF or I think to their credit, the USAPL or USPA, to me, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And that's not a knock on the other organizations. No. I think it's fine. They can run their meets. They're regional organizations with independent meat directors. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, though, to me, having another federation sanction on there, it doesn't just it just doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah. And again, that's not a super knock on them. You just but, got a vested interest with the APF. You've been sure. around it. But I think additionally, there is something about a sanction of one of the bigger organizations that means something. Yeah. Like it, it, it has a definitive feel to it if you run a meet APF or definitely USAPL or definitely USPA. Yep. Some other organizations, it is almost – and this is true of USAPL, APF, US, or, yeah, USPA – other organizations, it is almost totally up to the individual meat director. I mean, you could have an experience with XYZ Federation, mm -hmm. you know, in some state, and then you could go to another state, and it is almost it's, totally it's night and day. Right? They're not even they're, it's, they're barely associated. They just happen to pay their their membership dues to the same dude. Right. So that is why I've you know continued to be a part of the APF, and I've chosen. I do think that nothing should be done about it per se, mm -hmm. but I do think there's maybe too many powerlifting organizations. The way that I've chosen to maybe, quote, help that problem is to put my support behind a particular organization that I think is promoting the sport in the way I think it should be promoted. And, and I think you, you, you mentioned earlier and, and, you know, right now it's you, you do what you believe in, right? You, 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 that, that makes the most sense when it comes to how you unify the sport is you, you put your own personality on it, which I feel you do. Uh, you know, the way that I, there, there is a certain feel to a 2XL run meet. And I think anybody that's done one of yours and then gone somewhere else and done one can appreciate that. And continuing to just put that same feeling, that same energy, and that same experience out there for the lifter, uh, I, I think that continues to to draw them to, 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 to more of those meets. And then as you know, you're able to unify that even within the APF and then it expands out. That's, that's one of the ways that the sport continues to unify. And then experiences like the WPO where people say, wow, if the APF is my route to go there, 
then, then this is where I got to be part of. Well, and then you have a guy like Danny Digg, who basically had his own kind of organization in mm-hmm. the XPC, mm-hmm. which at one point he was quasi-associated with the RPS. Mm-hmm. He basically said, you know what? I like what Wayne Pullum and Michael Fahey are doing with the WPO. Mm-hmm. I want the XPC to be a part of that. And yep. so I am now going to sanction my meets APF. There you go. If there's a reason for people to do it, if it is, hey, if my meet has this stamp of the APF, I can now qualify people for the WPO, and that can change what my events are in the marketplace, yep. then you might see some meet directors jump on board. Adapting who, to the market. Right, who run meets under some other federation similar right now. Yeah. Um, but there has to be a reason why they want to do that, not just because there's, you know, they like Eric Stone or they like Ernie Franz, which was... I mean, it's the, a great reason to do a meet, but... Well, that was the reason in the past why <laughs> when Ernie Franz left the organization... Uh, didn't leave, but, you know, passed it on to Karen Kidder. Ernie had a unifying personality. He also had the type of personality where people thought they could take advantage of him and go form their organization. Yeah. But the organization kept together as much as it was a lot driven by his personality. It, at that time, was, you know, the one-man show driven organization like some of these are. Yeah. With the exception, he did have a lot of meat directors and infrastructure underneath him. Yeah. You know, I would say similar to what Steve Dennison has done now with the USPA. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely a Steve Dennison-run organization. It's got his fingerprints all over it, but he certainly has developed an infrastructure and a board and meat directors that, yep. for the most part, you know, adhere to the way he likes meats to be run. Yep. Um, and Ernie did that for many years, and when he left, I think that's when the APF struggled to to refine its identity with, you know, a committee of people mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, kind of one man led organization. Right. And sometimes you do need that decisive leader. I mean, not to say that the committee can't do well, just sometimes some things do get bogged down in committee. There is no doubt about that. <laughs> I'm but, sure you've been mean, part of that. Right. And I am on the executive board or executive committee of the APF. But when people talk about unifying powerlifting, at least for me, again, the way I've, in my mind, to me, it's better to work within the system. Mm-hmm. Of the APF rather than say, well, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. It's going to be, if people want powerlifting to be unified, it's going to be market-driven. It's going to be everybody's going to start lifting USPA or everyone's going to start lifting. Well, everyone's not going to start lifting USAPL because there's always going to be a contingent of powerlifters that are going to want to lift untested. Yep. And actually, I think there's always going to be a contingent of powerlifters that want the more extreme version of powerlifting with at least a monolift and a squat bar and knee wraps. Um, I, I would agree with that. And there's always going to be a contingent that want to be tested and want yeah, and yeah, don't exactly. want to put anything else on. There's no doubt. Nothing wrong although with I, there is nothing wrong with that. Although I again, when we go back to our uh, a couple other episodes ago, when you asked the question or I asked the question, how many of the 1,300 lifters from USAPL Nationals will do a meet in the 2030s? And your answer was 10. percent Yep. I think the style of lifters that has gotten the huge popularity in the last five to six years, raw, walked out, drug tested, some non-tested, you know, I think they're more likely to be out of the sport in 10 years versus the APF lifters. Because we've I've seen lifters at APF WPC meets for the entire time I've been in the sport. Yeah. You know, there's been people around that whole time. And it's like you said, it's that family. You see them at nationals, you see them at worlds. I mean... Mm-hmm. Gosh, Kirby Anderson's 83 years old. That man is incredible. I've seen him come to meets for 15 years. And that man can bury a squat, too. I'll tell you what. Right. That is incredible. And there's some of the lifters that I continue to see at meets that I've seen for years and years and years. 
And I don't know that that's going to be the case with your, you know, 20, 30-something millennial raw lifters. That's not to say anything bad about them, but I don't know that they're going to stick it, around the sport in five years. I, I would venture to say you're probably right. Anything else to add on the alphabet soup game? Uh, not on the alphabet soup. I think uh, we pretty well covered all, man. That was, like I said, uh, the, t- the test will be online, so make sure to answer everything accurately. I mean, accurately. there are so many other organizations I that know. I didn't even cover, and if you start going into the politics of other countries, you know, there was this whole big thing in Australia last year <sighs> with their IPF affiliate. Um, you know, even in Britain, I know there's four, five, six organizations. Yeah, I've actually um, got to know that a lot more in talking with Emma and uh, – and Cali, just it, it's kind of now. What's exciting is that the British Powerlifting Union and the and the ABPU, uh, which they are the WPC affiliates, seem to be getting a lot of traction. It's like all that. their meets are selling out immediately. Yeah, and I mean, what they had body power, they had like four hundred lifters over there. Like crazy, their nationals it was awesome. So crazy. Um, yeah, excited to go over to Ireland and see what we got. Right, right. Well, we're gonna take a turn to. I would say arguably our most controversial topic next week, and one that I don't want to say that I want to handle with kid gloves. Oh, no, I'm gloves are coming off on this one. I'm oh. going to get angry on this. Oh, okay. Well, I would say I'm going to handle this uh, probably more delicately than other issues. Nope, nope, not going okay. to. Well, we're going to cover trans athletes in powerlifting and in sports. Yep. And it's a controversial topic. I have fairly strong feelings about it. Um, but at the same time, I do understand the delicacy of the issue. I yeah, we're I'm just gonna be ready for next week. Okay, well, this might be the episode where where Bane is gonna talk more than me and, <laughs> and is really gonna get angry. I don't know if I made it angry. I just I I I too I feel strongly about a lot of things with regards to it and how certain organizations have have acted or not acted and, and how individuals have acted or not acted. And so I, I, I'm going to say things. And I do know that you have an individual that you're close with yes. that is a trans athlete. Correct. Whom maybe after this episode, if I can ever figure out how to hook up a phone to do interviews, would be an interesting person to interview. Because I do think it's it's valuable to hear from people whom might be affected by changes in policy or policies of trans athletes uh, competing. Yeah, I think just if if the – and we can talk about this offline too, but, you know, the, this person that I'm very, very close to uh, stood up in their wedding actually a few uh, weeks ago. It, it's it's interesting as I've had this conversation with them previously uh, about, you know, just different decisions and different, uh, you know, ways that they think about competition and, and everything now. Um, and so I think it's uh, – it's it's going to be a very interesting topic. Let's put it that way. No doubt. Yep. Uh, I do want to do some house cleaning real quick because I put up a, a question on on the gram. Uh, basically, okay. throughout there for folks if they want to ask questions for the show. Just want to get more engagement. By the way, uh, speaking of engagement, if you happen to like the show, leave us a rating on uh, iTunes or Spotify. Also, leave us uh, some comments. If you don't like the show, leave us some comments. Tell us how terrible we are. We want to hear it. Um, but not on the ratings. Only leave five star reviews, please. Yeah, only five stars. Uh, at JJ underscore fitness 13 asks, can I be a guest star on the podcast? Got to be a star first. Uh, 365 oh. muscle UK. <laughs> oh, uh, let's answer that. Uh, certainly JJ underscore fitness 13 can be a guest on the podcast. In fact, he's a guest star. No, he's not a star. Let, let's <laughs> pump the brakes there. He could be Player. a, he could be a guest yeah. in my, uh, episode I have projected of our bench shirts cheating. So mm. I, 
I foresee a debate between myself and JJ underscore fitness 13 with Bane as the moderator. Yeah. Um, he has to sit on my lap though. Mm, yep. Well, yeah. Uh, and by the way, I am a master debater. Are you a cunning linguist? And I would destroy JJ underscore <laughs> in any debate. I can't wait for this. Uh, at 365 Muscle UK, Julian, what's going on, bud? Favorite deadlift accessory, more deadlifts. Uh, am I allowed to answer that or only you? You, you are more than welcome to answer oh, these, by the way. Uh, I would say uh, not deadlifting is my favorite deadlift accessory, but mm. one that helps the most, I think, is chain suspended good mornings with the safety squat bar. I do those as well. They are fun. Um, I actually, but like what helps me the most, what I've had the most carryover for is as I am typically a sumo puller is pulling conventional. I was actually about to say the same thing as a sumo deadlifter. I think yep. conventional deadlifts probably and, as much as anything else have, have helped me. Yep. Uh, that, and that'll be a future episode. We can talk about training styles. We haven't talked a lot about that. No, we really haven't. Um, but that's definitely something we can touch and on. That, and that's something I want to pick your brain about. Cause I think that's something that you, you don't get enough as much credit for from others as you should is how you put together training programs. I, I know, again, I talked to a lot of people here at 2XL. Um, I don't think publicly you get as much uh, as much fanfare as you should, sir. Uh, at Ray underscore 198 underscore powerlifter. Uh, hopes for the WPO, uh, world domination, obviously. Um, well, I mean, the goal is, you know, continued growth. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they would like to possibly see this move from ESPN3 to ESPN2 if it's possible. Yeah, let's get on the deuce. You know, if not on a lot, because, I mean, that's a long t- that's a long time frame, mm-hmm. even in the middle of the day. Yep. Uh, but, you know, maybe what they could do is cut that up and do, you know, one of those one or one and a half hour, you know, produced broadcasts to be yeah. rebroadcast on, say, ESPN2 or one of their actual, you know, TV broadcast channels. Yeah, that, w- that would be really cool to be able to do that. And, you know, I think additionally to get the goal of the WPO is definitely in addition to what they've already been doing from a TV production standpoint, it can improve, Mm -hmm. but that was the goal as far as that goes was to get on a a big, you know, streaming or eventually broadcast, you know, network. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the next goal is to secure some major sponsors and, Mm -hmm. you know, get some major prize money for the winners. There was, if you, if you're curious, the winners did win prize money. It was not, you know, enough money to make them millionaires, but it was in the four figures. Yeah. And they were happy to just, receive just it. Just on the ground, you're going to fight somebody for it. Right. It, 100%. And as when people ask me about prize money with the WPO, they said, what's it going to be? And I said, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it's better to announce nothing and then for people to be surprised that they get something rather than in the past with the WPO. Partly mm-hmm. why it went away is they guaranteed the world and then... When the lifters were handed a giant check, they were told, well, you can't deposit that for six months. Yeah, that's a thing. That's not good. To no. me, it's better to, uh, you know, under-promise and over-deliver yep. rather than the reverse. 100%. And and I would love to see, if I'm really thinking about the WPO, you know, they call it the WPO Championship Series. It's treated very much, if you're familiar with the, the Diamond League in Europe, it's a huge track uh, championship series. And it's about eight or nine uh, meets that go on every year. I would love to see something similar for the WPO where it does crescendo into the world championship, you know, the grand finals at the end of the year. Um, I would love to see something like that. I think that'd be really, really cool. Yeah. ESPN's had some talks about multiple events. Um, There's definitely been talk about a bench only event. Um, At least currently that the the plan is, I mean, the only problem with powerlifting is you can only lift in so many powerlifting meets a year. You're going to burn out lifters, but you could have, you know, 
at some point maybe, you know, featured qualifiers for the semifinals yep. and finals yep. and have those be part of the, you know, have their own TV production or, you know, maybe as a, a produced spots of, hey, here's, you know, some select footage of five, six, seven, eight, you know, qualifiers from the, in the U.S. that qualify people for the, for the semifinals that yep. then qualify them for the finals. For sure, for sure. No, I would love to see something like that. Uh, last one, how big a fanboy were you at the WPO? Uh, well, if you heard me last week, if you've watched the broadcast, I was a big fanboy. I was screaming. I was just having a great time. Then when I actually met individuals there, um, I, I did fanboy. I actually was, call it what it is, I was too chicken shit to talk to Laura Phelps. Uh, what, really? Yeah, dude, I just, I freak out when I see people that I've, like, followed for a long time. And I, I just, I couldn't even go talk to her. Could have asked me. I could introduce you to. I'm, I'm sure you could have, and I was too chicken shit to do it. And it, it took almost the entire day for me to go introduce myself to Donnie Thompson. I had to wait till after the broadcast was done. And I just, I when I fanboy out, I'd rather not like a complete idiot. And also, I still, and this is probably this is the one sport that has uh, not done this to me. You know, they tell you don't meet your heroes, right? Because they're going to disappoint you, or they're going to just be just terrible. Every single person that I've ever met. And the biggest example I have of this is Jill Mills. You know, if you followed Strongman back in the day, she and she was my favorite strong person. I met her at um, Strongman competition in 2016 down in Jacksonville, Florida, and I just I, I fanboyed out a little bit. Basically said, "Hey, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I, I've watched you since I was you know a teenager. Uh, can I get a picture?" She was super cool, super nice. So I've never had a negative experience, but I still just had this stigma in my head, and it's really difficult for me to go introduce myself to big-name uh, strength athletes. Okay, yeah, interesting. That's just me. Yeah, I can't say I fanboyed out at all because I probably met most of them before. Yeah. A, B, I was so nervous about just the actual logistical running of the meet yeah. that I was probably too nervous in that way to fanboy out at all. Although I enjoy talking with and hanging out with Donnie Tom or Donnie Thompson as well. I was going to say Dave Hoff. Yeah. I mean, I love seeing Donnie Thompson. He came here to 2XL for a seminar in 2015. Awesome speaker. I could tell you back then that he was perfect for this oh, yeah. TV broadcast. He talked for six hours straight at our body tempering seminar. Yeah. But I always enjoy watching Hoff lift and interacting with Hoff. I wouldn't say I fanboyed out per se, but I just enjoy having him at our meets. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked about with the spotters, like, you know, lifters that have their very specific requests and have like a whole entourage that comes out there. Hoff just comes out with his girlfriend. She calls his depth. Yep. He had you guys center him. Yep. He didn't have a whole big group. He didn't have any specific needs on his rack height or, you know, he did have a three-man handoff crew, but. Yep. The only thing he had was on this, well, on the mono, he wanted the, the hooks in a very specific place, but it was very easy to set. Right. So. Yeah, and he judged at the uh, meet I was at this weekend, and mm-hmm. it's fun hanging out with him, and he loves telling jokes. Um, and is a good judge as well. You know, it's kind of cool for the lifters to have Mr. 3000, you know, 100. Mr. 3102. Mr. 3, yeah, Mr. 3K102, you know, judge their lifts. Yeah. Um, he was head judge on the deadlift at the meet. I took some pictures of him judging. So yeah. I would say I fanboyed out, but I, I definitely enjoy seeing him lift. He's probably my favorite current lifter to watch. Nice, I I I do. I, I it's funny, and I think the per, the person who has I was at deadlift Frankenstein, Chris Meadows. He knows I fanboy out because I've told him about this, and so that's one of the reasons he asked that question. I have no problem admitting to it. Like I I do. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Well, I'd say we will end it there, Bane. Yeah. This is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>